Um, Ari and I and um, Kurt and Sonia sat on Kurt and Sonia's porch with Pete the day after, the day after his dad had passed. And um, <clears throat> it was a sweet, a sweet moment. Um, but it had, we had this, it had this weird element because all of a sudden we were like handing around the Mediterranean food. And I was like, I dreamed this. Like, I've lived this. Isn't that weird when that happens? It's so weird. Um, when I was 16, I had a really, really good friend. Um, her name was Jen. And we would talk almost daily for a season. Um, I probably liked her, but I was terrified of that. I was, I was young enough to not know what was happening. Um, and one night I was sleeping and I had this, the, one of the most like kind of vivid dreams that I've ever had that she was pregnant. I thought, oh my gosh, that's just crazy. And I called her on the phone the next day laughing like, can you believe this? I had this dream that you were pregnant and I can so clearly remember the mumbled response only to find out two months later that indeed it was true. Um, weird. Dreams are weird. Um, I asked her later, what did you think of that when I asked you about that? And she said, I was just like, oh my gosh. <laughs> when I was young, I had a kind of a budding dream of being, I've told you this before, a sportscaster or a, or a pastor, and I couldn't make sense of the pastor piece, largely because I had so many good friends and important people in my life who were not Christians, and I just couldn't imagine, I, I just couldn't pull that together. Um, and I had Uncle Floyd, who cussed like a sailor. I had Uncle Al, who was a carpenter and had half a finger on one hand. I had Grandpa Bob, who was a truck driver and talked like one. I had friends from high school who loved to party, and they were wonderful people, and I loved them dearly. And I can remember being in high school, loving my youth group, and wondering about this dream of being a pastor. And, and it wasn't until my youth pastor um, said to me one day, when I was kind of like apologetically um, giving my reason for not coming to a youth group gathering, because I was with my friends from high school, and he looked at me, and I was braced for the judgment, and he said, that's awesome, that was a great choice. That's where you needed to be. It's when the dream kind of became possible for me. I, I want us to think about dreams today. Um, dreams in your sleep, dreams in your heart, um, Dreams that come true, dreams that haven't. Um, and I want you to just think about those as I read from Matthew. For those of you who are new, we're, we're just starting. You're just in time. You missed last week, but we started last week a series on the Gospel of Matthew. And we went over this riveting genealogy. I'm gonna, it's a long one, so get ready. 
lean in, lean into this story. Um, In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem asking, where is the child who's been born king of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened and all Jerusalem with him and calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it's been written by the prophet, and you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the wise men, the Magi, and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you've found him, bring me word so that I may also go and pay him homage. When they heard the king, they set out, and there, ahead of them, went the star that they had seen at its rising until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. Then, opening their treasure chest, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. Now, after they had left, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up. Take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. Then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother by night and went to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet out of Egypt, I have called my son. When Herod saw that he had been tricked, By the Magi, he was infuriated, and he sent and killed all the children in and around Bethlehem who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had learned from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what had been spoken through the prophet Jeremiah, a voice heard in Ramah, wailing in loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be consoled because they are no more. When Herod died, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, go to the land of Israel, for those who are seeking the child's life are dead. Then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was ruling over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And after being warned in a dream... He went away to the district of Galilee. There he made his home in a town called Nazareth, so that what had been spoken through the prophets might be fulfilled. He will be called a Nazarene. This is the word of the Lord. I want to just talk about a few characters to kind of frame um, something. Herod, in the time 
of Herod. Um, Jesus' stories are told in the context of kings and thrones, politics and power. Um, Right from the beginning. Matthew's a little different than some of the other Gospels. I mean, Mark just jumps right into the story. There is no birth. Um, Luke has this amazing birth narrative. Um, Matthew um, talks a lot about the events around the birth. Um, That's what we're reading here today. Um, The story is, uh, it's cosmic from the beginning. Um, But it's in this context of of Herod that we begin. Um, Rulers stay rulers by implementing fear, using power to do it. And a lot of times we fall into imagining time and history in the same kind of way. I was talking to my friend Chad. This is a few years ago. He's a history teacher and decided to become a high school football coach. And I was talking to him about that experience and what it was like being a high school football coach at a Catholic school where he didn't have to teach anymore. He just got to be a coach. And that was it. Um, That's crazy. Um, And uh, he said, you know, sometimes I kind of miss teaching history, though. And I'm like, oh, really? How, How come? And he's like, because all you had to do is you just got to stand around and talk about war all the time. When we think about history, we we fall into these patterns sometimes too. Rulers stay and rule through fear and power and violence, and and this is no different in the Jesus Christmas stories. Um, there's there is no sentimentality in these stories, right? There was lots of violence, lots of deceit, um, lots of the stuff that we we grapple with on a daily basis. Um, and Herod's first response when he hears of the possibility of a new king was one of fear. Um, The passage said that Herod heard this, he was frightened, and so was all of Jerusalem with him. When our leaders get afraid, we get afraid. Um, This is the story, this is the context. Um, of, the, of, the, of this Jesus story, of the whole gospel of Matthew. Um, and so Herod does what any smart ruler would do, right? He wants to find out who's this king that's threatening me. Um, he calls the magi to him. Um, he calls his advisors to him, right? The religious leaders, the scribes or scholars, the experts. Um, there's nothing new under the sun, right? Um, and he calls likely religious leaders who will tell the story in a way that reaffirms what he, how he is seeing the world. So that's one character, Herod. Then you've got these magi. The tradition uses wise men, um, but really these are magicians. And our translations don't use that term because I think there's like a bad connotation with it. Um, But these are magicians. These are people who were into astrology. Caleb right now has a soccer coach. I have to be careful here. His name is Hanos. 
And Hanos, I found out, is a Zoroastrian priest. And Zoroastrian priests are really into fire. Um, I'm, I learned this from a party the other night at Hanos' house. Um, his, him and his wife, Mahir, were telling me about this. And so I don't, I, don't, I don't know anything about the Zoroastrian faith, so I'm not like trying to draw a complete connection here, but it reminded me of Hanos when I was reading this. Like someone who looks to the creation to discern what is God up to. Um, I mean, the Magi are so different than Herod, right? They follow a star. Creation bears witness, Matthew wants to say, to who Jesus is. There's this cosmic understanding Matthew's trying to build. Um, Mark is very local. Matthew is very cosmic. These, these magi, they, they worship a baby who is a foreign to them king. This is very different than Herod, who is plotting from the minute he hears about this king. Um, these magi come and they worship. They bring gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. There's all kinds of ideas about what that means and is. I think the translation is mostly just shiny stuff. They bring shiny stuff <laughs> to worship the king. Um, They have this hope that comes out of watching stars, um, following them, bringing gifts, worshiping a baby. What's really kind of interesting, though, they would have never found that baby had they not gone to Herod. This hope is grounded in kings, in the, in the context of kings and thrones, politics and power. It's not a this disattached hope. Um, and then they listen to dreams. They follow what they're told in a dream. It's a very different kind of posture to life than, than Herod. And then finally, if you, as you go on, you, you get that little bit about dreams, and then you, we all of a sudden start hearing about Joseph. Um, in Antiquity, which is the time of, of, of the scriptures we're reading, they didn't think about time as, as linear as we do. We think about time in a very linear way. They think about time in a kind of a cyclical way, like what happened before is going to happen again. And so it, it's helpful to think about the Genesis story when we, when we look at this story. And this is going to be super quick. Genesis um, 12 through 38, 12 through 50, um, have these like broad characters that we follow if we read that story. One, the first one, is Abraham. And Abraham interacts with God. God calls him in chapter 12 to, I'm going to bless you to be a blessing, right? And you're going to have a great, great um, family, like the stars in the sky. Here's the stars again. This irrational guide. Um, after Abraham is Isaac, he's quick. 
And then there's Jacob, right? And Jacob is the one who, at night, he's kind of in a dream, kind of not. This person comes to overtake him, and he wrestles with this one. And God says, your name is Jacob, but now I'll call you Israel because you wrestled with God. You have these two characters who engage directly with God. And then the third character is Joseph. And Joseph is the great dream interpreter, right? He has these dreams, and he can, like, experience dreams, and he can read or understand other people's dreams, including rulers. But there's this shift that happens where the two characters before interact directly with God, and yet Joseph interacts with God through dreams. It's kind of risky on God's behalf, right? These dreams are like, they kind of work, I guess, but you leave a lot in the hands of the one interpreting them. And so we get to this story, and here, once again, we have um, a Joseph who, who experiences dreams. Um, after Genesis, and Joseph kind of goes into Egypt, right? He becomes a big ruler, and then the tides turn. People of God become slaves. And it's the moment the midwives cry out in Exodus chapter 1 and 2. But once again, God interacts directly with God's people and sends, with the context of fear, of child, children being eliminated because of a desire for power, a new Moses. Um, excuse me. Dang it. Gave the punchline away. A Moses. Um, comes on the scene. And here we are in Matthew, and there's a Joseph who's following dreams. Um, in a context of fear, um, and where does he go? He goes to Egypt, right? He's called to Egypt. Um, and from Egypt, he comes to Bethlehem, um, a lowly place, then to Nazareth, an even lower place. The kingships could not be any more different. Matthew is working hard to give us this vision of the cosmic significance of Jesus, and yet his humble um, odd, peculiar way of being king. Well, this is cool, Josh. Great story. Like, so what? <laughs> the overarching theme of Matthew, and I said it last week, and it's worth saying again. Matthew is setting us up. He's saying, listen to this one. He'll save God's people, just like Moses did. Um, follow this one. Matthew's going to have a, a little bit more teaching coming up 
Jesus teaches on a mount and gets the new law. There's other mosaic themes that we're going to come up, we're going to see as we explore Matthew. Mountainside Communion, listen to this one as we go through Matthew together. Um, Jesus is a king that's going to turn kingship on its head, and we're going to learn in the Gospel of Matthew what what that kind of looks like. Second thing, what do we do with our dreams? Come on in, guys. We can go around that way. Um, Jesus enters this context of fear. And God offers dreams to God's people. And here we are in a context of fear. um, And I want to invite us to consider, what are the dreams God has given us? Last week, with our kids in Godly Play, we had them write out dreams. It was based in this weekend, where we remember the witness of Dr. King, who called, whose most famous speech was, I have a dream. Right? And we all get excited about that. Um, and so we invite our kids last week into writing out their dreams. And they dreamed about no more violence. They dreamed that everyone would love one another. They dreamed there would be more small businesses like the candy shop in downtown Monrovia. True story. Um, guess which kid, which parent. Yeah. Um, what was the other one, Bree? There was another one I didn't want to miss. There would be more libraries. Say that again. More trees. More trees. Uh, <clears throat> we'll do that with our kids. We'll ask them to dream. I want to invite you to dream. Um, I want to invite you to remember your dreams. Um, some of them are weird. You might not want to act on them too quick. That might not be the smartest idea. Um, some of them are come when you're sleeping. Some of them grow in your heart. Some of them are, are an idea of somebody else, maybe that emerges between you and them. Um, some of them you're like, Josh, I've been, I've been wanting this dream for a while, and it just doesn't seem to come. That's, that's real, too. This is not sentimental that I'm trying to invite us to consider. Um, what do we do with our dreams? Our dreams are almost always on the other side of fear. They're almost always um, on the other side of fear. We, we, we fail to follow those because we're afraid. Um, I heard a story this week. It was a, kind of a friend of a friend. He's, he was in Africa and spending time there. He, he works for World Vision. And he was, he was learning about all their water systems. And at the end of the trip, the team, World Vision stood, or the, the team from World Vision kind of stood in line. And their new friends stood in another line. And they were participating in this African ritual of goodbye. And that they were to walk. Once they were in their lines, they were to walk, meet one other person from the village, or from the team, and hold hands and say goodbye. And this, this young uh, Caucasian man, he walked forward. He realized right away he, that the oldest woman in the village was going to be the one that he was going to engage. 
And he engaged her and he held her hand and he tells the story that his hands literally hurt because of how worn and leathery and hardworking, presumably, this woman's hands were. And never before had his hands in his own mind felt so soft and buttery. And he walked away and, and it and for a while, he said he just kind of like dwelled and moped in his privilege, remembering her hands and what they felt like. And then he said his, his thoughts began to turn, and he, he began to think, I wonder what she thought of my hands. And he came to this amazing moment where he said, you know what, I'm, I'm privileged. That's who I am. And my question that I now rest with is, what am I going to do with that? For some of us, we don't dream because we think we're privileged to be able to. We're privileged to be able to move into our dreams. And there's truth in that. But this year, as we work with Jesus, as we live in a context of fear, dreams just beyond that fear, I want us to, to follow some of those, to consider following some of those. Um, what are we going to do with the privilege that certainly rests in this room? Um, when the Magi show up where the star is above Jesus, um, home. <laughs> the scriptures say that they were overwhelmed with joy. Overwhelmed with joy. Um, Some of us have dormant dreams, like maybe I really will be a sportscaster someday. Um, just Little League, that's right, Jordan. That's right. Some of us, let's go with this. We need to be encouraged. To reconsider those dreams. Now, they, they might need to be altered a bit, right? I'm not talking about dreams of health, wealth, and success here. I'm talking about stuff that God has stirred in us, in us individually, and in us as a body, um, in contexts of fear, gospel, gospel dreams. Um, Some of us had a bunch of dreams, and then now we have an eight to five job, or eight to whatever job, or seven to whatever job. We got mouths to feed, mortgages to pay. It's not a real great context for dreaming. Somebody just asked me, Marcus, this morning, is anything new, Josh? I'm like, 
out of my mouth came, I'm too busy for, to handle anything new. That's probably not a gospel place to be. Um, let's just name that. And let's be open um, to what God might want to do in stars and dreams, um, in bread and in wine, um, in the normal things of life. <clears throat> I've been waiting for the, the kids to read this, this final little piece, and then we're going to come to the table. Actually, we're still missing, who are we missing? Godly play? Oh, the ones and twos, threes and fours. Okay. Trans, give this to them. This is an Orthodox writer. Some of you have read him before. From its very beginning, Christianity has been the proclamation of joy. Of the only possible joy on earth. Gosh, we got all these problems in society. Like real life's happening. Friends are in a lot of pain, yeah. Christianity has been the proclamation of joy in context with Herod's. It rendered impossible all joy we usually think of as possible. But within this impossibility, at the very bottom of this darkness, Christianity announced and conveyed a new, all-embracing joy. And with this joy, it transformed the end into a brand new beginning.